Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Angela Brown, K-12 Enrollment Marketing Leader at Niche, and my guest today is Brendan Schneider. Brendan is the Director of Advancement at Sewickley Academy. He is one of the leaders in the field for teaching on and knowledge about inbound marketing for schools. In addition, Brendan presents and consults on inbound marketing, social media, SEO, and marketing technology at the regional and national levels. With his workshops, the Schneider B Media blog, his SchneiderB.fm podcast, his Schneider B Vericons, and his SEO coach software, he continues to advance the abilities of the independent school admission, communication, and marketing professional. Brendan is also the founder of the Marcom Society, an online community created expressly for marketing and communications professionals at schools. Welcome to the podcast, Brendan. Thanks, Angela. Thanks for having of me. Of course, of course. So I want to start with two questions that we ask every guest. The first is, what is something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? So here's, I'm going to answer it this way. One of the things that we tried that initially worked was the use of webinars. So we very early on used webinars in our marketing and and they were great at first. But the reason I, I thought of this is that eventually over time, the effectiveness of the webinar went away, at least for us. And then what happened was, is which is I'm, I'm always trying to do, is learn from that, pivot, and what can we do next? So the next thing we did was automated webinars. So I took that asset, that recording, set it up automated, because my thought was it was hard for people to find or be at the webinar live because you know we're very busy, parents are busy. So the, we did automate it so they could do a kind of on-demand or or very soon thereafter. And that worked for a while. And then that waned a little bit too. So we ended up stopping them. Hopefully we'll bring them back. And our next theory is topics, really interesting topics that aren't related to just promoting our yep. school. So really like parent education, which, which is stuff we've talked about in yeah. the past, but that's our next thing. And then uh, fingers crossed that'll work. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great point, actually, because something that I think a lot of schools are facing going into this next year is that even schools that weren't intentionally doing webinars per se in the past sort of found themselves creating that kind of content because most of us were doing virtual events of some kind last year. So now there's all this content that you're sort of looking at with most schools being in person and, and people are trying to figure out, you know, what do I do with all of this on-demand content that I created by accident? And I think the distinction between things that promote your school and things that are a bit more parent education oriented, that's an important distinction. You know, I think when, when I was at my previous school, we definitely got the most success from sort of an inbound marketing and lead generation standpoint with those things that were more education driven. I, I couldn't have said it better. And and for us too, and the reason I brought this example up was that sometimes you try things and they work, but then over time the effectiveness yep. wanes. Yep. And and it's really important for school marketers to to not be wed to those things. Scrap yeah. them. 
<laughs> and and pivot or try yeah. something else. So that was why I, I and, and we shouldn't there. need something like a global pandemic to make us pivot, right? That kind of iteration <laughs> and yeah. experimentation, not, yeah. <laughs> which we'll get to a little bit later. I think those are things that are really, really important for people to keep coming back to. So my next question is, what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? For me, it's it's consuming content. So I listen to a ton of podcasts about marketing, which is so geeky. Um, I also listen to, I also read a lot of marketing books, but a couple things. I've also found that it's important for me to, because I love podcasts so much, listen to other things that are creative. I am obsessed with the creative process and understanding the creative process. So listening to things like Mark Marin or the, the recent Smartless or uh, one of my faves is How I Built That's This. That's a great one. Guy Raz. Uh, NPR yeah. Guy Raz. <laughs> yeah, I love that show. And, and what's great about it is that I try to, um, and a lot of the marketing ones I listen to aren't school related, they're business related or other industry related so that I can see what other people are doing and then hopefully where I try to put my creative spin on it is think about how to bring that to schools. Because it's because marketing and business and marketing in schools is not necessarily apples to apples. How can I take what people are doing and bring it back? And the, and the hard one I find too is that a lot of times when you uh, listen to things about business marketing, is they have you know certain products or certain things have such a short sales cycle, right. so it's a quick decision. So how do we take that, translate that into our business, which is such a long sales cycle? You know, typically at least a year, usually more yeah. now. So. That, that's that's what yeah. I'm trying to do. And, I, and I, I would recommend that to anyone, honestly. I think sometimes we can get really stuck on this has to be for schools or I have to look for examples yeah. from things that are just for schools. But a practice that I've brought into every industry that I've worked in, and I've worked in a lot at this point, is to be able to look outside and pull those ideas in and try to think of ways that you can apply them. Because at the end of the day, I don't think people recognize that B2B, B2C, schools, consulting, you know, wh whatever industry or vertical you're working in, you're trying to make connections with human beings. And that is something that I always sort of kept at the heart of my own work in, in marketing and communications. So switching gears, I want to talk specifically about digital because that's a sweet spot for you. It's something that we both know that school marketers struggle with a lot. And so I really want to dig into that. So first, I want to kind of talk about why do you think that is? It, this is something that people have a hard time with in both marketing and admissions. And I'm, I'd love to hear where you think that might be coming from. Uh, this is like the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's schools now. So it was, it, it's a great question. I, I thought of three things. And, and, you know, maybe we could break them down. But I, I think the biggest, the first is, Schools don't have the in-house talent to do the work and or they don't have people at schools to even know what's possible. Yeah. So I think when you're trying to hire, you don't even know the questions to ask or the, like this, I'm going down the rabbit hole now for this one, but you and I both know, Angela, when you say you're hiring a marketing person or a communications person, there are probably like, like super the superhero doesn't right. exist, you know? So what I mean by that is there might be seven competencies within that 
marketing communications thing, we don't all do those well. And, and people, I think, notoriously at schools understand the, the competency of, let's say, writing or doing a magazine or something like that. They don't even know the language of the digital marketer. They don't, so they, they don't even know what that's they don't so know. True. So I think that's part of the problem. The second one for me is it's just related to this fact that schools don't usually have specialized people. And then as a result, schools are notorious for adding things to people's plates and not removing them. So what they'll do is, is they don't, you know, going back to one, they don't even know what they don't know. So they're not going to hire just a digital marketer. They're going to hire a marketer and they're going to try to make them do these digital things. And then they're also going to have recess duty and you're going to have to coach and you're going to have to do, you know, they're going to get their pound of flesh, which takes them away from doing this work, which is so important for the lifeline of the school. It's the lifeblood of the school. And then the final thing, which I'm starting to believe more and more is that these digital marketing skills are so, they're so sought, people are going after them so hard that the pay scales in our schools aren't awesome compared to what they can do by themselves, either freelance or in That's other industries. That's a great point. So why would a school, why would I come to a school to do this work when I can, I don't know, make right. double outside? I mean, unless you have some you know, compelling uh, reason to do that or you, um, I mean, the one thing I think schools do offer is, uh, I, I don't think there's anything such as life-work balance, but a little better sure. life-work balance, you know, so, and, and with some of the time we have built in off and yeah. things like that, but th those are the big things that I was thinking about. To answer well, and one thing I would add, and I'd be curious to hear your perspective on this, just being in a, a different market from mine slightly, yeah. but one thing that I can also see happen in this conversation that's happening in the broader market around being in an office versus working from home is that oh. school jobs historically and traditionally have been you know, that sort of butts in seats sort of role, right? Because you want equity between teachers who don't really have a choice and yeah. administrators. But for marketing roles in particular, and even in admissions to some degree, particularly when you get into things like data and, you know, positions that exist in some capacity elsewhere, I do wonder if on an increasing basis, schools are going to find more and more requests from people who have some of those skills to at least have some flexibility to work from home if they're not able to do it exclusively. I think it's an excellent point. And I would say schools have been notorious to not even think right. about that. Like, you're not going to be okay. You need to be here from eight to four and you better have a tie on, <laughs> you know? And they're like, What? That's such a good point. I'm hoping, I'm afraid to say this, something good from the <laughs> pandemic is not a statement I like to say. But if, if we can take from the pandemic the fact that schools can, can, they actually saw people were able to go remote and be yeah. really good and be productive, uh, that's a great point. I'm hoping more of that does occur. I think it will, but knowing schools as we know them, it's like turning right. a cruise ship. You know, it, it takes yep. forever. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a really good point. I agree with yeah, you fully. It's yeah. a, I think it will be a slow process, but it's something that I'm hopeful schools will start to consider before the market forces yeah. the issue. Oh, well, that's the magic right there because it will. I think it will. Yeah. So how do you, as someone who seems to be on top of all things at all times, 
to the point where I'm I'm consistently impressed by it. And I think those who are familiar with you would say the same. How do you stay on top of all of these changes in digital marketing? And how do you decide which things you should try and which things you should stay away from? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good question. I think I've gotten better at this with age. <laughs> you know, what one of the things I try to do, again, I mentioned before, I love... Uh, I'm a geek in that this is my hobby, so I love this. So I read a lot, podcasts, videos, although I have to be careful on YouTube because I can go down the rabbit hole like yeah. anybody else. But trying to evaluate all this content is, has become a skill. But I think the other thing to answer your question directly is that my first answer to most things is I start out at no, and that's actually served me well. Wow. So when people are – now, again, if, if it's somebody asking me, I'm very polite about it. But like – I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. You know, I feel like we're humming along and doing good work and adding something in. I'm always like, no, no, no. And then if I say no and it just doesn't feel right or something doesn't work for me, I'll go back to would it affect our target audience or would it help our target audience find us better or attract them or, or whatever. So, you know, maybe an example is somebody asked us about using TikTok. For oh, school. yes. You know, and my first answer was no. And, you know, then I, I think about one of our personas and I'm like, our, our persona, she's mm -hmm. not on there. You know, she, she's not on there. So why would we right. do that? Um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, we've talked in the past about experimentation yeah. and, and all that other stuff. So maybe that's something later, but... But, you know, to use that example of TikTok, and it, for us, it was Snapchat as well. Yeah. Like that, for who we're trying to attract, it just doesn't fit. I think everyone gets faced with those kinds of questions. And your point yeah. about mapping your answer back to a persona, which if you have not gone through the exercise of developing personas, at least for the divisions that you serve, the age groups that you serve, what does that ideal buyer look like? Please do it because it helps yeah. so much with the decisions that you make and the tactics that you use. It's it's a really, really important point. And I one of the things that I always stress with schools too is the importance of leaning into your brand and what makes sense from a branding standpoint because there are some institutional brands that simply do not support certain platforms, certain tactics, certain language. And so looking at who you are institutionally and, and equally important, you know, looking at what is it that your prospective families are really looking for? Where are they actually looking to make this kind of a decision? Because for schools that charge tuition, that's not a choice that people make lightly. And, you know, a TikTok video or a disappearing video on Snap or not necessarily, <laughs> that may not be the way that someone makes a five-figure decision, right? Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if people take nothing from our conversation today, Angela, it's what you said about the persona work. They can stop listening now. <laughs> I hope they don't. But they can stop listening now. And if they haven't done it, do it. And if they haven't done it for a while... And actually, I should probably take my own advice because after the pandemic, things are upside down. It's probably worth revisiting that and thinking about who are you trying to attract. And was that something that you did in-house or did you outsource that exercise? 
We did it in-house. So this was years ago. And, and we had a, a parent who was the chief marketing officer at a big company locally. And he was gracious enough to give us more time than he should have. Uh, super helpful. And I remember the first time, and, and I'll t- I tell the story for a reason, it'll make sense in a sec. The first time we did it, Angela, I don't know, but we spent hours like getting data and figuring things out and going through this. And a lot of that actually ended up being a waste because I would say only use or find or get data that can be actionable. Because we were finding out things, you know, I think we went through some of that prism stuff and the other stuff. And like, here's the example I always use. Like our parents read Town and Country Magazine. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. one of the things. I'm going, how, how does that help us? <laughs> we're not advertising in Town and Country Magazine. Like, you know, we already have a sense of that. So my recommendation going forward and something we're going to have to do at school is don't do it by yourself. Do it with your, you know, colleagues. You might have to do some interviews with some parents, yeah. which is good for the community anyway. And, and don't spend a, you know, an, an exorbitant time on it, but have those conversations and get that data that's actionable. Ages, maybe professions, where they live, how many parents are both, you know, working for us. It's both because they have to pay mm-hmm. our tuitions and, you know, uh, uh, things like that. I mean, so we did not go outside. I mean, we read and used outside resources, but but that was kind of our process. How about you guys? Did you go use outside or did you We really actually go? did both. The oh. first time that we went through the exercise, we did it internally. Um, and I, I worked through that in partnership with the admission office. And we really sat down yeah. and very similarly to you, we looked at data, we looked at similarities and differences among the families that went through our admissions processes. And there were some things that that came through very, very clearly and easily. You know, most of the prospective parents who were interacting with us in the admission process right up until the very end were, you know, female partners in, in the relationship. So, you know, mostly yep. women. Yep. Um, the demographic information was very clear. A lot of the psychographic information was very clear. And so that was what I sort of referred to as a persona development light exercise where I really wanted yeah. to help the admissions office understand the the concept of persona development. It was new to the school at the time and what types of things that we should look for. And also how helpful it is when you can give a name to that ideal lower school parent, middle school parent, upper school parent. You know, so we had a um, I think lower school Laura was one of her personas. And so when we were going through some of our conversations, we would say, well, wait a minute, what would Laura respond to? What would Laura think about this? And so it sort of takes away the faceless, anonymous way that we tend to talk about families and really makes them real. The second time that we did it, and this was a much more comprehensive exercise, was when we rebranded in 2020. And as part of that entire process, um, which we did with an outside firm, which I highly, highly recommend if you're going to do something that big, definitely outsource it if you can. If you can't due to budget, then wait, because it's, it's too important not to invest in. But that was much more comprehensive in terms of the scope of data that we looked at. I think we looked more at both demographic and psychographic data. And so it was more 
you know, not just looking at age and race and location by zip code and that sort of thing, but what do these parents care about? What what is it that a lower school is looking a lower school parent is looking for that's different from a middle school parent? And when we also started to talk about student and teacher personas so that we could apply that same exercise to our employer branding efforts, to student recruitment, because that's a question that comes up a lot, right? Is okay. Yeah. We feel like we might have some good ideas for parents, but how do we connect with students? And I think that's why channels like TikTok and Snapchat tend to keep coming up over and over again as people think, well, that's that's how we can get to the kids. But there are smarter ways <laughs> that yeah. that you can do that too. So so we actually did both. Next question, and this this one I'm very interested in in hearing your take on is a red light, green light question. What is one thing that you think schools should stop doing to recruit new students and build awareness? And what is one thing that they should start? Okay, I'm going to have fun with this. So for those that don't know, I live in Pittsburgh, and I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And our coach is a guy named Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin is often quoted as saying, we don't live in our fears, we live in our hopes. So for me, the red light is, Schools need to stop living in their fears, and I hope they get rid of the phrase, we've always done it. Oh, before. yes. You know, and, and cut things that aren't working. Because if I hear that phrase, it like the alarms go off in my head, red flags, and that's something I would attack right away. So that's the big thing. If, if schools are looking for a specific thing, an actionable thing, for me, and this might be a little blasphemy, but stop spending so much time, and, and I might have to unpack this a little bit because I'm still thinking about it, but in terms of recruitment, stop spending so much time on social media. Interesting. And I encourage, this is why, and this will go into my second, my green light, go into your Google Analytics and look at your web traffic over the last year and see how much web traffic came from social media. Now, you know what the answer to that is, yep. Angela. It's not <laughs> a lot. So my thought is, don't, don't, you have to do it. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. But stop freaking out about it and getting so worried about it and getting so tied up in vanity metrics yes. that you're constantly checking out. Oh, did I get another like? Did I get a cut? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and I'm only saying that because I'm a reformed person like that. I was... <laughs> totally like that. Like I'm not, I'm not throwing from a glass house. I mean, I did it too, but stop, stop worrying so much about that on the recruitment and getting new student front. I mean, the one thing for us social is, is I think it's really important from, um, or more important from a retention standpoint, right? You're telling the story, you're trying to reinforce why people spend a ton of money to have their child there and it makes them feel good and get, I yeah. get all that but maybe it's maybe the better way to say it is put it in balance in priority balance and if you go to Google Analytics so this is my green light my green light is that I'm super bullish and I think schools need to start to figure out ways to do SEO themselves mm. so for me I think last year a little under half of all of our traffic came from organic search and what are schools doing to get better traffic, get more traffic? 
you know, freely, not spending right. money. You can always spend money and, and do that. So, so do it freely. And, and that organic search is affected by SEO. And I've been on this campaign, this mission that, that, you know, SEO is not voodoo black right. magic. You know, <laughs> every, we're school people, we're smart, you know, we're, we're lifelong learners, we're modeling. People can learn this yeah. stuff. And, and I, I totally am about outsourcing. But I, I think that th- this is one of those things that schools can learn and do a good job with, increase traffic, get better traffic, and then use those dollars for other initiatives. So that's that's kind of where I am. Uh, love to hear your reaction. I, I completely agree. I, I think we're actually seeing SEO as a very hot topic, both on the K-12 side and the higher ed side. And what's interesting is I think that SEO has become a popular topic in K-12 because everyone's hearing that they need it, but they don't necessarily understand what it is. And because it seems so overwhelming, the immediate thoughts are either, well, we can't do it or we need to outsource it because I just can't even wrap my head around it. And I, I do think that that is an area where if, if, I could recommend one thing to start digging into, that would be the thing. And if you want yeah. to start by outsourcing so that you can come to understand it and ultimately bring it in-house and save yourself some money um, and a few steps, right? Because the more you own internally, the fewer emails you have to send, the fewer meetings you have to schedule, <laughs> right? I'm a huge yep. fan of owning yep. as much in-house as I can. But to to make a point that I actually have been driving home quite a bit with people, both in this format and in others, it's really important as you're finding those outside resources to find people who do want to teach you and not just tell you what they've done or make recommendations that you don't understand. Like I, I see hiring a consultant as being no different than hiring like a financial advisor. I would never hire someone to manage my personal money if they were doing something that I didn't understand, right? And so I think it's really important for you to make sure when you hire these outside consultants, ask them to explain what they're doing and what they're recommending. Ask a lot of questions and and ask not just about data, but about results, because I think that can get missed too. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I think outsourcing is very appropriate. And I think schools should probably do more of it. But again, there's always a balance, but it's that learning piece. If you're not learning what's going on, my point is you don't even know how to evaluate the work the consultants are doing. Right. So you have to understand. And my other point is I think school marketers should learn how to do SEO themselves because they'll always have a job. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> It, they'll, people will be like, you know, come I on think down. The more so right, yeah. tools you can put in your digital marketing toolbox, you know, I, I think yeah. project management's a given, writing ability is a given, but the more you understand digital and can teach about it and evangelize it internally, you will always yeah. be employed. Final question, if you have time. Yeah, and, and this one I'm pretty excited about because I would just love to hear your process here. But you've talked a lot in the past about the role of experimentation in your own professional development and, and, and in some of the things that you've recommended and written about, spoken about. 
So I would love to have some insight into how that works and how other marketers and admissions folks can apply that in their own work. So when we were, I was kind of working through the question, I go back upstream a little bit. And I think in order to experiment, which ultimately means you're going to fail sometimes, that you have to create a safe place and you have to champion that failure. Because if you, if you don't have that, it's going to be a lot harder to do it, right? Like, so I've always felt comfortable saying, here's what we're going to try. Here's like, if I, if I come up with something or we come up with something, here's what, what we're going to try. Here's why we're going to try it. And here's what we're going to hope. And, you know, we're going to have put some time bound restraints on it. And then for me, what's always gone into that is, is, is that it might not work and, and that's okay. You know, and we, you, you know, I talk about failing all the time and what's great. And and I think people need to understand is that in the work we're doing, we're not saving lives, right? Like you, you don't have to worry about something super serious because in marketing, if you fail, what it means is that somebody doesn't pay attention. Right. So as long as you have defined these things, you know, maybe it's, uh, with your experiment, have smart goals. I can't remember the acronym, oh, yeah. but you know, measurable, time bound, yep. that whole thing, right? So as long as you have that defined, you experiment and and you pull the trigger and say, you know what, it failed. But then what I always try to think about is it's not failure; it's another data point to pivot, iterate, and try something else. That's great. So I I also do that with my team. So I tell my team all the time, like. As long as we're trying new things, some of them are going to work. Some of them aren't going to work. The only time I would get mad, I don't know mad's the right <laughs> word, but mad is if you, if you make the same mistake twice. So it's like, okay, because I tell them all the time, like, guys, I make mistakes too. You know, you're, I'm going to cover for you. You're going to cover for me. We're going to figure this out. Um, let's learn from it and not do it again. And whether that's marketing, whether that's with our alums, whether that's some fundraising thing we're going to try, but as long as we learn, debrief, okay, that was good, this wasn't good, how could we make it better? And and sometimes to to model that behavior, <laughs> we'll be in we'll be in team meetings, and I'll just say the stupidest things and like come up with crazy ideas because I'll say, hey, there are no such thing as bad ideas here. But this goes back to the whole meeting thing. And I know you guys, you and I have talked about hidden meetings and, you know, but, and I think it's okay to, you know, I'll go into a meeting and say, look, this is a brainstorming meeting. We're not coming out of this with an answer necessarily. So they're going into that, come with ideas, no such thing as a bad idea. And I'll sometimes throw out the crate. I mean, not just to be crazy, but like I'll, I'll push the boundaries on it. And then the team will go, Brennan, you've lost your mind. But it might be a seed for someone else on the team to go, how about this? That's a great idea. Let's try this. Or they throw something out crazy and I grab it or someone, else, you know. So I think if you can create that kind of environment, people will experiment more because they're not afraid for it not to work. So I hope, I hope my team would say, yeah, that's what we do because <laughs> that's my vision of it. So, yeah. I love that. That's such great advice. Well, thank you so much, Brendan, for joining me today. Angela, this was great. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so glad you're doing this. And I can't wait uh, to listen to all the hundreds of other episodes that come after <laughs> this. It's going to be great. 
Thank you so much.